Why, hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Urban Health Podcast, keeping busy people healthy. I'm Stephanie Webster. I'm a nutritional therapist on Harley Street, London, specialising in fat loss, gut health, and hormone optimization therapy for busy executives and entrepreneurs over 40. Today, we're talking about arachnoiditis. Arachnoiditis is an inflammatory condition of the arachnoid membrane that surrounds and protects the nerves of the central nervous system, including the brain and spinal cord. The arachnoid can become inflamed and inflammation can sometimes lead to the formation of scar tissue and adhesion can make the spinal nerves stick together. The condition is extremely painful, especially when progressing onto adhesive arachnoiditis. And today we have Aaron Rabin on the show who suffers from this condition, or shall we say, you don't suffer, but you sort of, it's not about the uh, cards that you've been dealt with, it's more about how you play them. So I don't like to use the word suffer of this condition. How would you see it, Aaron? Thanks for having me, Stephanie. I, I say that um, I thrive with the condition. Um, it's, it is painful, it is life-altering, um, but I think humor helps. So my first thing is a joke when they say, what is that? I tell them that, you know, I have such a fear of spiders that when I see one, I jump back and stick to the wall. You know, that's what I say. <laughs> and, you know, some people go, wow, really? I'm like, no, not really. Um, and then I explain exactly what it is, which is, uh, you know, an inflammation on the membrane. And it's, it's, it, ha- it gets its name because the membrane actually looks like a spider web. So it's extremely painful. Um, but you learn to live in spite of it, not with it. Um, and that's what I mean by thriving. I mean, it amazes me because you were saying that you walked today and sometimes you walk, sometimes you don't. So how, how does that fit into your day? I think anybody that suffers from anything, depression, chronic pain, we tend to sink inside of ourselves. Um, I know for me, I, I, te- I have a tendency to want to be isolated. I don't like to go out a lot of times because if I have a really bad flare-up, then I've got to leave early, and I feel like I kind of ruin the fun. So I tend to leave myself out of things, and I'm slowly coming out of that. So like tonight, it just kind of felt like I needed to walk it off. I wasn't feeling good in my head, and when my head space gets really negative, um, I try to balance that out with a challenge, and walking is you know, it's a challenge. Every step hurts. So I asked my son, Noah, I said, you know, hey, how about we, you know, go for a walk? He's getting ready for college. This is his senior year. So we went, I said, let's, you know, take a walk and talk about that. And it was over a mile tonight. Um, and I felt it about, oh, I don't know, about three blocks from the house. I was, I started to limp. You know, it used to bother me when I would limp in front of my kids because I thought they would see that as a weakness. But I've come to know that that they, they see what I struggle with and how I present myself and the fact that I do get up and I do push myself to um, to do what I want to do in spite of how I feel. They see that as a sign of strength and they use that as an example of how they can push through in their lives. So um, I, I find that being more than the pain I suffer with makes me uh, a complete individual. But it's the, it's the I should. I should be able to, I think, is the biggest, I hate to borrow the word from people who suffer with it, but it's the it's a thought cancer. Uh, when I think that I should be able to do something in a way that I can no longer do it, I, I have to learn how to function in a different way. So the cane, 
in, I used to have to use a walker. I don't need the walker anymore, and I only need the cane every now and then. So it's all a matter of how I look at that. I, I don't know if it's just inherent in men that think when they need help, they're somehow less of a man. I know for me, that's that's what I struggle with, that men are supposed to be strong. Men are supposed to be able to do in spite of. Uh, but when you do in spite of, uh, that's when you hurt yourself, if you do that. With your pride causes you to do something that could eventually cause you harm, it's not very wise. Better to use a cane and be safe and walk a mile than not use a cane and fall down three blocks later and end up in the hospital. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. So there's a difference between a positive challenge where you say to yourself, hey, I love my body. I want to look after it. It's a beautiful machine. And I want to try and walk a mile and a half today. You know, let's see how we get on. And so that's a positive way to, to, to get more out of your body rather than this sort of, oh, why are you not working again? Why are you falling again? Why are you not functioning again? Why can't I be normal? Like other people. The pride issue is a big one. And I think that uh, anybody that suffers from chronic pain, we spend a lot of time trying not to look like we're in pain. Uh, we try to uh, ignore it, especially in the presence of other people. Um, and I think that that does ourselves and the people that were around a disservice. Um, what I've come to do is explain things. First, it gets rid of any uh, awkwardness that I may feel um, being ill around people. Um, and then it helps them understand what I go through. Sometimes the pain is so great that I, can, I can't control that. So I'll make a face that kind of looks like I'm angry. And if I say I got to go at that point, people are going to think I'm you know, angry with them. So if they know what my condition is up front and then I say that, then they go, oh, you know, well, I'm sorry you're not feeling well. Um, but, you know, I hope you feel better and we'll see you later. And it's a very casual thing. And I'm only just in the last two years comfortable enough with um, being ill in front of people. It's a balancing of perceptions on the person that is ill and the person that sees an ill person not looking so sick. It's also nice sometimes for sick people to find each other because there's a mutual understanding. One of the things in the urban health method is discovering your athletic identity. And it's one thing having a positive mindset to, to stay alive. And quite another to say, do you know what? I'm going to see if I can push the boat here. You know, you make a good point because there is a balance between two extremes and we have to find that middle. Um, there are times when, you know, pain is so bad, it is a negative experience. And to tell myself something positive, to think that that's going to take me out of what I'm experiencing, the negativity, the body says you're fooling yourself. It will remind us that, no, I am a very clear and present illness and you have to deal with me but the body doesn't demand that we become depressed the body doesn't demand that we become irritated frustrated and angry or self-defeating or self-deprecating right it, it doesn't demand that of us it just demands that we acknowledge it sometimes the narrative we grab onto is the deception that leads us into a pool of negativity that we can't swim out of that i've i, I have cursed my birth and when you curse your own birth, it's like you deny yourself at that, but you abandon the very essence of who you are. And when you've done that, um, you've done the, the most damage you could ever, that any pain could do to you. you. You take yourself out of your own life. For me, it's been a catalyst to compel me forward. 
beyond my body into my life and not be in the prison that pain makes for me. Yeah, and the good point that you made earlier was it starts in the mind. And it's about falling in love with the idea that you can be the best version of you and the best is yet to come and having an empowered mindset. It's almost like your mind is a personal trainer for your body and you're saying, you're fine, you're going to get through this. I know that whenever whenever I used to have um, flare-ups for ulcerative colitis, I used to uh, have an aversion using pills. So I used to just take four days off, switch my phone off, apologize to everybody. I used to tell my body, you're fine, you're soothing, you're already coming down. Yes, you were inflamed before, but you're not. Sort of sort of talking myself out of it. It's true. You know, happiness and sadness are momentary experiences. We come and we go through those, those experiences all the time. Our mind is the catalyst that takes us to that place. The mind says, I feel this right now, and I'm going to feel it to the degree that it's meant to be felt and no further. And when I'm done, I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to move on from this moment. Not going to let this be the dictator of my life because feelings, if that becomes the catalyst for your actions, then you're out of control. For me, I've got to think before I get out of bed. I've got to make sure I plant my feet the the right way or a pain is going to shoot up and I'm going to fall down. Sometimes I have to actually think of breathing because the pain is so bad, I hold my breath. When you live like that from day to day, you have a more conscious attitude about the most mundane things, which then compels you to be even more attentive in in the complex things in life, especially when you're listening. Personally, I I don't love my pain, um, but it has become a very good friend of mine. It's not easy. It's a struggle every day, Um, but it's a struggle worth fighting, and it kind of compels you forward. It's amazing, isn't it? I remember being in so much pain. I never said I wish I wasn't born, but I just said, if if I die tonight, I wouldn't necessarily mind. And and so you sort of have this deep fascination with the human condition and it's it, persistence to, to continue on. I want to go on to the topic of suffering. So I'm sure some people would say, but you must be on medication for your suffering uh, <laughs> to, to avoid the suffering. So let's talk about suffering for a minute and the pills that you're trying to avoid. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, The problem with my body is I have a high tolerance to opioids. Medication for me, um, when I started to research it, you know, most people don't read the bags. You know, all the warnings and all the things that can happen. So I, besides the symptoms of my illness, the pain and the the depression and anxiety that that chronic pain causes, I had to then try to differentiate between is this pain that I'm really feeling or is this a side effect from the medication? I got to tell you, I just, I couldn't deal with that anymore. My position was now as a grown man, I, you know, I don't want to get high. People were trying to tell me you should, you know, smoke pot. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. But then my wife convinced me and said, look, you know, the opioids don't affect you that way. So maybe the pot won't either. So I said, okay, that was October 1st, 2009. Went to a doctor, took my MRIs and all my scans and uh, she reviewed everything, and then she looked at me, and seriously, it's not an exaggeration, this doctor, tears were coming out of her eyes. She actually started crying. 
I've never had that experience with a doctor before. Um, I said, what's wrong? I mean, are you okay? Because I thought something was wrong with her. And she said, no, I've just never seen this before. She had never heard of adhesive arachnoiditis. And she said, you know, the compassionate use law for cannabis, medical cannabis, was made for patients like you. You should be on this. I had already done the research that, uh, I don't know if you know this, but we have receptors in our brains, CB1 and CB2. We also produce in our bodies naturally what's called endocannabinoids, right? We produce the chemicals of marijuana in our bodies. We're meant to receive that. We're not meant to process synthetic drugs. But there is an industry, a business um, of pharmaceutical meds, and pain patients are their biggest customers. We, we become more ill by them then we become healthy because those medications destroy our livers our pancreas it, it, it wreaks havoc on our organs and so what i did was uh, i took the doctor's advice i went and researched different strains of cannabis um and i started using it on october 22nd i took my last methadone pill i didn't step down from the medications i cold turkey I just said, I'm not taking these medications anymore. I'm just going to do the cannabis. And then October 23rd, the very next day, my wife packed up the kids um, and took them. Now I'm without my kids, going through a custody battle. I'm in chronic pain. And I've got, let me see, I've got over 600 uh, 10 milligram Norco pills. So 10 times 600, you do the math, that's a lot of milligrams of pain medication. And every single day I looked at those bottles and I said, I should just take these pills. I got to the point where I thought I was better off dead um, than alive. And I thought, you know, my kids would be better off too. Um, I looked at those pills and I, the only thing I thought was, I cannot have my kids growing up asking themselves the question, why did dad kill himself? Was it me? How do you overcome feeling like you don't matter anymore. Well, you got to matter to yourself. You have to tell yourself a story that's true. That's unlike any story anybody else can tell you because that's going to be the anchor that keeps you going. I, I don't allow my pain to define me. Um, I refuse to let that define me. I'll talk about it because people need to hear it. Um, but I'm more than what I suffer from. I try to avoid any medicine that's been synthetically produced because our bodies aren't synthetic. And so I tend to look around and I go, is there any natural alternative? I figured out that I take this kind of strain and I take two to four hits um, every two to four hours. And that works for me and I'm able to do it and I don't get high. You need to take your time. That's the key to control, because when things are spinning, we have a tendency to spin with them. But things spin around us. They don't take us with it. I mean, we're on a globe right now in two different parts of the world, spinning circular. You know, we're spinning in a motion, revolving like this, as we're revolving around the sun. And we're traveling, hurling through space at about 63,000 miles an hour. And none of us feel a thing. If we can do that, then anger and depression, although it's spinning, we don't have to spin with it. We just need to breathe. So, actually, let's talk about that for a second. So, your discernment uh, of consumables. So, we both agree that the body is a beautiful structure and should be respected and, and we need to look after it better. And uh, uh, Now, where do you stand on 
societal's judgment of illicit substances that could be beneficial for mental health. I'm just saying that the way we have it structured it, it is subject to review. Any drug that you abuse, even caffeine, is dangerous for you. It can alter your thinking or your decision-making process. We need to kind of redefine the way that we, we view things. To respect your body doesn't need to be found in a religious book. It's a natural thing, right? If, if you are not respecting your body, then there's something wrong with your thinking, right? You don't respect your body because you don't love yourself, right? If you love yourself, you will respect your body. You'll go out of your way to respect your body. And I think that speaks to your main issue, which is health, you know. It's self-esteem, it's self-respect, it's setting your standards higher. It's actually saying to yourself, I matter, and I'm going to look after you better than anybody ever has. And looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, why are you harming yourself again today? And why, wh what happened that you decided that you were just going to give up or that you're not worth fighting for? There are other spiritual practices that would say, why do you need to take anything external at all? Can't you just find that state of mind from within without needing to rely on an external substance to assist you? Why can't you connect? Because how you use something, I think, has everything to do with how dangerous or valuable that something is. Anger is a stimulant. Whatever's going on in the body, um, anger can compel you to do something wonderful or completely destructive. When things are at their worst, when I'm at my worst, my very worst, when I can't even muster up even the good in me, the people who love me, they're not, oh, you know, they're, it's not infatuation. It's not, it's not an emotion. It's a choice that they make. They have a knowledge of me that's greater than the presence of myself. And in that moment, they make a choice to stand with me, to lift me up, to support me, because they know that the way that I am in that moment is temporary. I'm going through something. And they're going to ride that moment out with me like I will with them. They don't judge anybody at their worst because I know them at their best. And, and so love is something that you choose to do. The choice to love, the decision to love in the face of any circumstance is the most important decision any two people can make, whoever those two people are. The invisible lines that we've drawn around the world is what's killing us. When all people of all nations and all religions realize that we're not white, black, I'm not white, I'm a Jew. I'm from a tribe of people, 12 tribes. But when I dig down deeper than that, I'm a human being. We all come from the same place. It's the dirt. That's where we come from. We come from the earth. We should have a human pride, right, that, that, that transcends belief systems, political ideologies, and, and, and anything else that would divide us, that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Two people, a married couple, when they start to disagree to the point where they retreat to separate corners, that marriage is doomed. If you're not on the same page as your spouse, you don't have to agree about everything, but you have to be on the same page that no matter what we disagree with, we're never going to pull apart.
I'm losing my filter as as the night progresses because the pain increases and I just don't care anymore. Well, I actually want um, to point that out. So the, the the modality that we operate is we inspire and then we educate and then we support every single day. So you seem so inspired right now. I'm surprised you're still feeling physical pain at all because you seem, you know, when you're on your life affirming chat, you know, yeah. it's like if we keep you in that place, it's not about denying the pain, but it's just keeping you in on a natural high that keeps yeah, you. I cannot, I cannot argue with that. You're absolutely right. I don't feel like this very often. Um, when I move, I feel the pain. But then when I start talking and then you start talking and then you ask me a question, it makes me think. Yeah. It takes me, it takes me out of that very finite place and it puts me into an infinite place where I've got plenty of room that I, I'm not – I can't be bothered. It's not that I can't be bothered, but I almost want to say that. Like I can't be bothered with the pain right now because what I'm feeling, there's another sense that has become activated that takes me out of, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. But then I'll move, and I'll get a muscle spasm, and I'll go, oh, there it is. But you're so expecting think, it. But you're expecting you're it. You're right. I do look for it. You're right. Exactly. So I'm, I'm inviting you to be open to the concept that one day you're going to wake up, and actually you're fine. If you just leave the door open, maybe that will come into your life. Because if we're looking for it, sometimes we clutch onto it because it's, it's been the only certain thing in the turbulence of the times that you've had. The pain has always been there. It's almost comforting to have that as part of your whole being. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. You know, wow, you're amazing. I would never, I would never put that together. I, you're absolutely right. Because I did, while we're talking, I... I can't say I wasn't aware of my pain. I really can't say that because that wouldn't be true. But I have to say that I was so above. The conversation took me to a level above where my body was Yeah. that I, I wasn't paying attention to it. And then when I started to come down and co when I start to apologize for, you know, cursing or, or using that, like, because I don't like falling on that, but sometimes the humor kind of ca carries that, um, it brought me down, and now I'm thinking, there's something to what you're saying that's not just some kind of hokey, uh, kind of pseudo-spiritual, lofty, cosmic chat. Uh, there is a realistic science, I would say, to what you're suggesting. Well, I, I, I don't need 2,000 people and a double-blind study and a placebo. I don't need that. All I'm saying is I'm sitting here looking at you and I'm seeing you. So I'm focused on you. So I'm learning about you and how you are and what keeps you in your happy place and what keeps you in your dark. I, I'm just watching you and how you operate. So, that, so other people's experience is not relevant because we're writing your self-care manual, maybe for the very first time. So it's how to look after me. Because some people are built like apple trees and they need certain care. Some people are built like cacti and they need very little care at all. And we need to make peace with that, accept those facts and look after ourselves accordingly. And I look at you and I want to sort of help co-create with you this manual of how to look after you. So what I've noticed... That's your book. That's your book. 
How to Look After Me. What a great title. Yeah, so if we keep ourselves on uh, something that we're inspired by, something that we're passionate by, it gives us more reasons to live. If your lists of reasons to live are longer than your lists of reasons not to live, you're going to have a general demeanor of upward positive motivation, momentum in your life. And it, that's pain numbing in itself because it puts the pain on the back burner and your focus becomes life and happiness and vitality as opposed to the focus being pain. The pain may always be there, but you might not notice it as much. Do you see what I mean? I do. I see exactly what you mean. That is profound. You know, it's weird. I think the thing that makes it profound is how simple it actually is. It is as simple as one plus one equals two. I mean, you're, I don't get to observe myself from the outside. And so I don't notice the change when my attention is like, oh, that muscle spasm. Or, oh, I look down at my elbow because I'm leaning on it. I'm like, oh, i got to shift. And so I do this and then I feel that pain. But then I start talking about it. But then when I'm not talking about the pain, but I'm talking about life and I'm talking about how unbound I am. And then when I lose myself, you said that, you know, lose yourself. When I lose myself in that happy moment, you're, you're right. It's not like I'm unaware of my pain. It's just not the focus. And so I don't feel it. I was not conscious of my pain until I allowed my pain to become my focus. It doesn't mean that my pain wasn't there. It meant that I achieved, I won't say nirvana, but I achieved a place without medication. That's what cognitive ther therapy is all about. What you just showed is that not all cognitive therapy can be done alone. There's a limit to what I'm able to perceive or the narrative that I'm able to change. You know, writing a new life story or a new narrative is not easy to do by yourself. So as a life coach, or what, do you consider yourself a life coach? Or what, what do you consider yourself? I think every human being on earth it, it is in service to others uh, because we're all helping each other figure each other out. So I, I, don't, I see that as more friends or, or whether you call it a life coach. I'm, I'm a nutritional therapist and I have a, an interest in psychology I just care about people finding the best way to look after themselves and figuring their body out because we're all built differently we're not uh, this this model idea of how a body should be and we all have we all have to translate the guidelines to our own body so people with nut allergies have to make the necessary amendments people with uh, kosher requirements have to make the necessary amendments and they have to adapt it to their life and their belief and their body. So, you know what I would be, you know what I would be really interested in doing? Um, you know, and you think on this and see, you know, consider it for however long you can. Um, I wouldn't mind doing my journey publicly uh, with you. So, like, for example, we've been talking, I don't know how long here, but what might be, I know what, what I would find interesting in my insomnia moments, which is every night, um, that's how I got into quantum physics and quantum biology and knowing that, you know, when you pass the DNA strand, the DNA strand, you travel past that 
between that and the quark inside is something called the atomic void. And the space of the atomic void in relation to the universe is equal, right, to scale. Within us, there is a universe, a whole entire universe within our bodies. So I would be interested in exploring, like, something that you just pointed out to me, which is I, I was taken out of my pain. I had a lot of pain when I called you, um, or you called me, I guess. Um, like, if we could take a topic, right, and say we'd talk, like, maybe 35 minutes or 45 minutes on one topic, and then did another one and did another one, we would walk through the progression of what it's like for an individual to discover something about themselves they had never imagined possible. Because you have that ability to bring that out. That's an amazing quality. If, that you'll listen, you'll ask questions, and I'll feel bad about going off on a tangent, but you actually listen to the tangent, you're gathering that information, and then at a very critical moment, you feed that back to me, and you teach me something I would have never considered. I can't argue with I'm a very good arguer. I can debate anything. I will debate myself just to see if I really think what I think I think. Yeah, I will debate myself to see if my convictions are real or if I just settled on something, because people have a tendency to do that. And you just proved beyond any shadow of a doubt that I am capable of rising above my pain to the point where I don't notice it. And when I don't notice it, I don't feel it. You observed me not feeling pain. I automatically assume I'm always in it, and that's probably why I am. So you're asking me to explore something that exists outside the realm of physical science to the point where, you know, the scientific community would call what you're suggesting pseudoscience. But that's only because they don't explore it because they don't believe it exists. You're saying the power of the mind, which is not the brain. It's not the brain. The brain only demonstrates evidence that something else is taking place. I already know that. You're saying harness that and wield it. Don't let it be accidental. Right? You pointed out that I was for a moment. Well, quite a while. Pain free. Yeah. Pain free. Like right now, I feel my joints now. I feel it's all coming because I'm focused on it. Yes, Learning because you, maybe part of you is scared to let all of that go. Oh, have I let my illness define me? You know, that's interesting. I, 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 I hope I not. But on uh, one minute ago, you said that inside of you there's a universe, but five minutes before that, you said, I am limited unless someone else makes these observations. Or So the language, I'm limited, doesn't help you. You don't need me. Well, you're right. Um, I can only be so objective, right? Because subjectivity is, is a, it's a natural process to... to to kind of go through that and think that this only happens if that happens, you know, like if then statements, it's like a, like SQL or yeah. you know, like a database. It's, it's not like that though. We're not like that. Our capabilities, what we're capable of is untapped and virtually unexplored. And you're saying, explore that. There's no net. There's nothing to stand on. You're asking me to walk on a cloud 
and believe that I can do it. Not literally. Metaphorically, you're asking me, hey, put your feet on that cloud and know there's substance there that you can stand on. Even though everything's telling you you'll fall right through, I'm telling you you'll stand. And I have to be open enough to look at that and go, well, she's right because for an hour I didn't feel pain. And I haven't taken, you know, I've got Flexeril here, and I've got um, Percocet here, and I haven't taken anything. So, um, well, I have to say you're right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm here to help you find your truth, you know? So, it, I don't want anyone to have the power of being right or whatever it is. I just want to help you understand yourself better. So just something I've observed. So what I will say is earlier on, you said that you're grateful for your pain because it's helped you identify. Uh, helps me focus. It's helped you question yourself because you said you were too narrow. Right. So let's continue with that and let the obstacle... <laughs> let, let the obstacle become the way. You, we need to look. Uh, there are people that have larger issues. Now, see, I shouldn't do that. Everything's relative. This, for me, since two thousand three, well, I've had it all my life. I've had it. Uh, when, when did your condition months. start? Okay, let's let's actually I'm, get some data. I'm, I'm going to tell you. Um, I can only tell you in re in retrospect. I went to camp for two months in the summertime. Uh, it was in upstate Pennsylvania in the mountains, um, a place called Camp Green Lane. Um, and there was a lake we would water ski on, and then there was like an obstacle course. You know those military drills where they climb up the cargo net and go over the top and climb down the other side? There was one of those except it was steel. It wasn't a net, but it was like steel bars, little squares. You climbed up, you went over the top, and you climbed back down. This thing was about 15, 20 feet high. I'm sitting on the top with my friend Craig. We're straddling the bar facing each other. <clears throat> I'm 12. He goes, look, one hand. I go, look, no hands. He says, look, no hands, one foot. I go, look, no hands, no feet. And I fell off. I'm falling on my back. Now, I passed out in midair. I don't remember hitting the ground. I was unconscious for six hours. It was after lunch when I fell and I woke up after dinner, right? Dinner was over. Um, I got off that bed and I walked away. I went to my bunk. They never told my parents. If they told my parents it was a Jewish camp, I would have owned that camp. Right? We would have owned it because we would have sued them, right? That's a little Jewish joke there. But um, I believe that that's where my injury began. Um because I started playing drums when I was 12 also, later that winter, during school, I mean during the fall. And I remember when I was walking, I would feel, I didn't know what it was called back then, but they're called shin splints now, where it felt like, the only way I could describe it is what it would feel like if someone shoved a crowbar at the bottom of my foot and was prying my shin apart. My bone was splitting my shin like you split wood. That pain, you know, you're right, because as I talk about that pain, I can feel it. I can feel uh, it. When you talk about it, I can feel it. So, it's horrible. Um, so, so I understand your, your thing about allowing the emotion. 
but you don't need to live there and give it color and, and, and give it a microphone, uh, you know, and give it a whole PR press kit and, you know. I do that. I do do but, that. But it's this thing that we said earlier about the suffering. So what do you do in Passover? You eat the bitter, and if it's not bitter enough, you eat it again and again to make sure you feel the pain. I mean, this idea of enduring pain, you know, just just let it go. If you're going to be Jewish, at least make, knock that one out of the system. You know, leave that one out. If you're not going to be observant, it's not helping. You need to take on what helps. Look, I, I don't know. I'm not here to uh, offend any community. I like all spiritual structures because they offer us a guidance to live better. Because the law of the land, the law of each country, that just gives us the minimum effective standards. But morality and having an extra layer of ethics on top of that is, is optimizing, okay, how can I be a better human? And That's what I believe all religions are attempting to do. I was born in Saudi Arabia in a Muslim country to a Catholic, devout Catholic mother and to a non-fussed Protestant English father. So, so I, I, none of them could be right because it would make the other one wrong and that was unacceptable. So I was born into tolerance. So I had to find, well, what connects us all is intention. If we're all intending to be better, we're all intending to be a better version of ourselves. That's the only thing that I've found uh, in common amongst all clients of all cultures and all people. We have to find things that unite us, and that, that is it. You are correct in what you say, and there's absolutely nothing incorrect about being correct. The way that you just read my mail was absolutely truth. And I, I do pride myself on being a huge fan of truth over whatever my belief or my opinion is, you are absolutely correct that, because I, you've heard me, you've, I'm going to tell you what, you know who I think is brilliant? I wish I could meet this guy, Russell Brand. I love him. I think he's a phenomenal human being. Let's make it happen. Um, what's that? Let's make it happen. Yeah, I'm going to figure that out. It's, it's a goal of mine because I figure I can I can reach him. He's, he's got an email. So there's a way to do it. But uh, that guy, through his addiction um, and the things that he's had to overcome, and as funny as he is, um, I'm going to tell you why there are no prophets these days because they're all comedians. You listen to comedians. It's like the only reason why they're able to continue to say what they're saying is because they've turned themselves into gestures gestures jesters right the comedians are the jokes but when that guy talks first of all his vocabulary is intense i mean i did graduate high school but i checked out of school in eighth grade right and when i had my spinal surgery when i was 15 um i didn't you know this jock in the gym football player uh, pushed me slammed my back against the wall it almost sent me back to the hospital because i was it's a long story, but um, I didn't want to go back to school, uh, so I went to night school. I got a job during the day, went to night school, and you know I, I got my high school diploma. But I consider my formal education to have ended at the eighth grade. And if you were to track my vocabulary, the words that I use, like if you were to analyze my sentences, but I probably have the vocabulary of an eighth grader. My self-study into me and uh, 
who and what I am and how I am is much greater than that. But when you listen to what I'm saying and how I describe myself, and then you're able to say, well, if you can take yourself out of yourself for an hour, then realistically, with practice and discipline, you could take yourself out of yourself for all your waking hours and maybe get some sleep. You know, I would really like to do sessions with you that are like that. I think it's valuable. When you talk about urban health, your nutrition ideas, and all the things that you sent me when we first started talking are, are extremely valuable. But the anchor of everything, the thing that's going to change, the thing that's going to make people follow what it is you introduce them, because everything is catered to the individual. You don't have a mass plan that somebody can buy a book and say, read this book and do this. You, you have to cater everything that you do to the individual. It, some things may be the same, but the core is always going to be dependent upon the individual who's putting into practice the thing that you're suggesting, suggesting for them, right? I mean, is that correct? Yeah, so you, it's very, you, you can't AI that. It's individual-based. It's Each program is unique. And so I think what would be valuable for other people to see your worth that transcends any kind of certificate that you can hang on a wall is watching you do it. It's the culmination of all the information that you gathered during that, during that session. And then you, you put, you give somebody a parenthesis for them to fill in and carry on with. My goal that I know that I have, my daily routine now is to Sink my focus, my energy, not into dealing with my pain, but exercising the other part of me that's far greater than whatever I'm suffering from. But I can't learn to live in spite of my suffering or because of it, as I would, as I used to say, my suffering has caused me to learn what it truly means to be alive and what it means to be a good dad and, and how to teach my children to be the best versions of themselves. Um, I tell my children to take themselves out of their situations all the time. And yet I, I don't do that purposely. I do it accidentally. I was not aware that this conversation took me to a place that I don't normally go. And that is... There's no price tag you can put on that, Stephanie. You can't you, – it's priceless. What you're, I've been in therapy. I've done psychodrama. I was seeing a psychiatrist when I was 11, 12 years old, 13, 14. I've been in rehab twice. I overdosed when I was 15. I was dead. Uh, my father had to revive me. I went back out. Paramedics did it. I OD'd again when I was 17. I went into another rehab. Um I have never had anybody open my mind like you just did. It's absolutely incredible. I think people need to see that, not just hear it. Well, something brought us together, and you were drawn to me because you are craving truth. No doubt. So, 
some observations I can make for you so far is you said, I believed that my injury started then. So when will you believe that your injury will stop? That's for that's one small observation. And then we talk about truth. So let's take some truth from Wikipedia. Actually, no, it's from the National Organization of Rare Disorders. So what is the cause? The major causes of AA are anatomic abnormalities, genetic, autoimmune, and traumatic injuries. So we can read that and we can believe it. Or... We can look at certain truths about ourselves. So in this conversation, and in the conversations that we've had prior, we have admitted that there is a truth to our personality that is depressed, feeling like a victim, and feeling sorry for ourselves. Agreed. There's also another truth, and you use the words hope, confidence, excited motivated and curious my observation is that being mindless was better for you than being mindful so maybe the reason why you like drugs or liked them before is because it kept you in that mindless state because subconsciously maybe you were wanting to go to that place somehow and you're just trying to find a way so maybe it's not really the truth that you're after, like at some fixed point that you're walking around trying to explore. But before you mentioned that if the person you're in love with puts on weight or changes in any way, you choose to love them. And I, there's quite a few truths that we've been mentioning here. There's the one on Wikipedia, then there's the victim self as the empowered self. There's the person who believed that your injury started then. So what truth is going to be more useful for you to believe? I would have to say that, well, now there's so many questions now. Um, the only truth that would be useful is that uh, if there's a beginning then there must be another beginning, not an end. There's, if an illness begins, then the equal and opposite reaction to that action is health. So the question is, is health accidental or is it purposeful? Um, from what I get from you is health is purposeful. You don't fall into health any more than I fell into being sick. Although this is a medically induced illness. So you don't catch adhesive arachnoiditis, you get it from the medical profession. Um, epidurals, uh, pain blocks, nerve blocks, uh, meningitis. Um, I got chemical meningitis because they injected me with an iodine-based contrast that they knew I was allergic to. And that gave me meningitis and I almost died. I don't know, I don't, but, but we don't know that. Okay, I like we we can say that. Look, no, it is true. Okay, well, the, no, but what is true? What is true? You know, there is no truth in that sense. There's truth, and then there's hope. If you go into any hospice, any cancer place, and people are told you've got nine days or 
and they 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 do another nine years. You know, the, science is doing its it, the best that it can, but we can't give it that much power to dictate how we live on the day to day. We go into the clinic once for five minutes, and we walk out, and that defines the mood of the party of our lives for the rest of the day. Well, I'm not having that. I'm sorry. No, you're right. You don't have to be sorry about that. Um, you're right. Um, I'm not buying that. I, I've been told you've got ulcerative colitis because it's genetic. You've got ulcerative colitis because you drank milk. You've got ulcerative colitis because your mother had mercury fillings when she was pregnant with you. You've got ulcerative colitis because you were stressed and this is your body's response to stress. You've got ulcerative colitis because of emotional issues that have reflected in the stress in the pathways, neurological... Brain axis, who cares? Who cares? It doesn't matter. What, what I meant, just just so I, I want to clarify. Sure. When I was talking about what I have, I only meant that to, deg to the degree that it, if you do a scan, if you look at an MRI cross section of my spine, you can see where the inflammation is and where the nerves are damaged. Okay, it's it's a physical thing. It happened. It's there. Um, I agree with you that just because there's evidence. See, I want to. Can you turn the recorder off for me? No. I don't want to say this on the record. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to tell you something. I don't tell people very often. I don't. Yeah, sure. I'll do that now.